The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Jonah. Three sermons in, today being the third sermon into the book of Jonah. And uh, we're going to see over the course of the summer the gospel presented in story form. Um, When we say story, we're not saying that this is a story in the way that uh, nursery rhymes are a story. This is the Word of God. This is the gospel, the true gospel. God sending His Redeemer for a people who were enslaved in their sin, dead in their sin, when they did not deserve it and could do nothing about it. We're seeing this today played out in storied form. This is a real event. Some, some people would say, now wait a minute, you're preaching through Jonah. Do you, do you really believe that it's true? Yes. Yes, we believe this is true. We believe there was a fish. We believe this man was swallowed by the fish. We believe that he was spit out of the fish. We believe all of this. Okay, This is the Word of God. So don't think you're coming today to be entertained You are coming today to hear from God himself. I I may be the one standing here with a mic on, but the word of God is before us. And it's important that we look at the word of God and anticipate hearing from God. Amen? Amen. So let's look at Jonah, chapter 1. Let me read verses 4 through 6, and we'll dive right in. No pun intended. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need desperately to hear from you. God, we don't need to hear my words. We don't need to hear clever stories. God, in this day, in this hour, in these minutes, God, we need to hear from you. And God, I believe, your people believe, that you still speak. You don't speak randomly. You don't speak haphazardly. You speak through your word intentionally. And God, I pray that you would deliver it to hearts and minds today that desperately need it. We need your word today more than we need air in our lungs. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So far, as we have walked through just the first three verses up to this point in the book of Jonah, we have seen First off, that there is a ruler who is relentless. He is on his throne. He is on the throne of the universe. He's not just ruling over part of the world somewhere. He's not just ruling over some country somewhere. The economy is not in bad shape in God's world. He is on his throne, and he has every right to call whoever he wants, to send on any mission he wants, to save whoever he wants. That's what we've seen so far. But we've also seen Jonah, the one he calls to go to the Ninevites, those people that he absolutely despises. We see Jonah, rather than say to this one who is on his throne, yes, instead we see Jonah say, no. 
no in a very, not, not in so many words to God. We see him say no in just leaving. He just sells what he has, goes down to Joppa, finds a ship there, pays the fare, and heads as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. The opposite direction. Goes to the southwest corner of Spain. He is heading away from this call of God, thinking that in doing so, he can get away from the people of God, and he won't hear the voice of God. God will move on to someone else. Up to this point, Jonah could very well have reasoned. He could have argued that, hey, God must be okay with me running. After all, he gets to Joppa, and he would think that, hey, if God really wants me in Nineveh, and I go the other direction, when I get to Joppa, there'll be some roadblock there. I won't be able to find a ship. I mean, something's going to happen, and God's, you know, I mean, he's just going to turn me around. But what happens? He gets to Joppa, and he finds a ship going to this faraway land. He finds this ship going as far away as he possibly can want to go. And guess what? He's got the right amount of money to contract this ship. Now, he could reason at this point, hey, God must be okay with what I'm doing. God must have said, Jonah, it's okay, I understand. You're not there in your faith yet. Go ahead, I'll just pick someone else. Don't we sometimes reason like this as well? We sometimes reason that we can go off and we can disobey and run from God. And if God doesn't just stop us immediately, if he doesn't just put something in our way, we, might, we reason and say, you know, God must be okay with my disobedience. On Father's Day, let me, hear, let me, let me just let you hear this. A father is not loving if he lets his children disobey and get away with it. God will never bless your disobedience. It was Charles Spurgeon who said it this way, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. No father ever would reward disobedience, bad behavior. Our father doesn't either. He will let us rebel. He will let us sin. And sometimes his allowing us to doesn't mean that he is giving permission. And it doesn't mean that he's unaware We're going to see, God wants us to see in this, the futility of trying to run from our Heavenly Father. It is futile. It is foolish to try to run from our God. And I want today to show you quickly three reasons. It's crazy to try to run away from our God. Number one, our God has power over all things. Our God has power over all things. All things. I want you to notice in verse 4. We're going to walk through this passage together. In verse 4, it says that God hurled a great wind. That word hurled is, is a word that meant it's, it's used when talking about picking up a spear or a javelin and hurling it at a target, hurling it at prey, throwing it with great accuracy. Have you ever tried to control the wind? You ever sat around a campfire, and every time you get to one side, the smoke comes into your face, and you move around over here, you move your chair, and as soon as you do, the wind shifts, and it comes back in your face, and we say things like, well, you know, they say smoke follows beauty. We can't control the wind. We we, we can't control it. You ever sat at a picnic? 
do a lot of campfires maybe this time of year, but you go to a picnic and you spread everything out and the wind comes through and all of a sudden napkins are going everywhere, the tablecloth won't stay down, and, and you sit a bottle of ketchup on that, you know, and that's really all we can do. All we can do is sit ketchup on things. But here we see a picture of our God picking up the wind and hurling it with accuracy, pinpoint accuracy at Jonah. Jonah may think, God must be okay with what I'm doing. But in his running, God takes notice and God picks up the wind like a spear and sets his sights on Jonah. I want you to know, church, today, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear the heart of God in this passage, that God has every right to control the wind, and not just in other people's lives, but in your life also, in my life also. I was on my front porch yesterday. I'd worked in the yard, done all the weed eating, which I hate. I despise weed eating. Uh, I'd done all that. I'd worked hard. I had the blower out, and I'm blowing around, and taking all the grass clippings off, and I go up on my porch, and there's this bird who has made this nest right up on top of the post on my porch. And birds do what birds do, which means they politely drop things, all right? And it was all over the porch. And I thought, my son had just earlier in the week went out with a hose and got all of it off, and here it is, like 24 hours later, back covered again. And I'm thinking, what, what are you eating? You know? And it's just running all over me. I'm sweaty. I'm hot. I'm tired. I just weeded the yard. And I took that blower, and I said, I'm going to send a little bit of wind into that bird's life. You know? And I found myself on the porch blowing, I don't know how, you know, 150 miles an hour at that bird. And I watched him, you know, his wings kind of come up, you know. And then my wife said, what are you doing? Quit that, you know, which if it would have been a cat, she'd have been like, blow it away, you know. Uh, but we see our God doing what I was trying to do in the life of that bird. God has every right to do it in your life and in my life. And the wind will not be the only thing that God controls in your life. Sometimes there are things in your life that you want desperately to hang on to. You want to control those things. Other people's happiness, the, your, your spouse's happiness, your kid's happiness, your, your performance at work, all of this. You want to hang on to this, and you want to manipulate it. You want to be the, the ruler of your universe. And sometimes God uses His divine prerogative, and He blows wind into your life. Picks up wind, and He hurls it somewhere because maybe you're running from God. Maybe, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, someone else is running from God and you just happen to be caught in their storm. The wind will not be the only thing that God controls in your life. I want want you to turn back with me. Keep your, your finger there in Jonah. But turn back to Job, chapter 38. Job learns this lesson all too well. Job learns the lesson of God sending wind hurling wind into his life. The devil comes, have you considered my servant Job? The only reason he obeys you, the devil says, is because you bless him. Well, let me take all those things away and we'll see. And you know the rest of the story. And Job has had just about enough when God answers him in chapter 38. Now, I want to read a long section here, but I want you to pay attention and hang with me. Job chapter 38, God answers Job. 
Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, God says. I will question you, and you make it known to me. In other words, let's go. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors? I'm getting ready to go to the ocean. I'm going I'm to contemplate that verse. Who shuts the sea in its doors? It's amazing to me. Every time I go to the coast and, and at certain times of the day, the tide comes in and the tide goes out. It's like clockwork. They can tell you on the news what time the tide is coming in and what time it's going out. That's not because science has figured that out. That's because there's a God on his throne who controls it all. Who shuts the sea with doors? And when it, when it bursts out from the womb, when I made cloud, clouds its garment, thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the mornings since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. Have you ever woke up in the morning and, you know, the sun should be up by now. It's just not quite, you know, and walk over to your alarm clock and wind that thing and say, okay, God, go ahead. Nobody does that. Why? Because the sun rises and the sun sets at the direction of our God. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Tell me, he says, who are you to question God, I could go on. I'm going to stop there, but I would challenge you to read, read this. Read, read verses chapter 38, 39, and 40. In, in chapter 40, Jonah, or Job comes to the only conclusion that we should ever come to when God hurls wind into our lives like a spear to stop us from our running. The only thing we should do is to cover our mouth with our hand and say, you are God and I am not. Job's response in the beginning is the response that we should have. Naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave it. Blessed be the name of the God. It is foolish to try to run from this God because He has power over all things. All things. Now sometimes I like to think that I'm in control. I couldn't even blow that bird out of its nest yesterday because really my wife stepped in. I can't even go to a restaurant and really order what I want off the menu because oftentimes I'll go into a restaurant thinking, I know what I want. I'm, I'm going to get that. It is so good. I'm going to get that. And then I go in and I sit down and I open the menu and lo and behold, they've changed the menu. And they've not really changed the items on the menu. They've just changed it and put new pictures. And I, and I become like a caveman and I just, oh, you know, that looks good. 
And all of a sudden, that changed from what I went in saying, I'm ordering this, and their marketing has controlled and manipulated me, and I'll order something that I don't even like because it looks good in a picture. Church, let me tell you something. There are many of you that are sitting out there in seats this morning, and you think that your world is in your hand. And everything may be going well for you right now, and you may think, I am am the king of my universe. And all it will take, when you start trying to put yourself on the throne, all it will take is for God to take notice of you, to pick up the wind and hurl it into your life, and for things to suddenly spill out on every side from your hand. What will you do then? I don't want to paint a picture of a vindictive God. I don't want to paint the picture of of a God who's like the boy standing over the anthill with the magnifying glass, just killing ants for the fun of it. That's not the picture of our God. I want you to see, we're going to see later on, that our God, when He does hurl wind into our lives, it is because He is relentless in His pursuit of us. He is worthy of all of the worship of every person who has ever lived or who ever will live everywhere on the planet because he is ultimate. He is preeminent. And he will share that with no one. It is foolish to try to run from God because God has power over all things. But not only does God have power over all things, God has left his mark on all things. He's left his mark on all things. You can see it all around. Look at verse 5. In the first part of verse 5, it says, Then the mariners were afraid. Now this is, this is interesting. This tells you the greatness of this storm. These were not like me on my honeymoon going out on a fishing boat and getting sick because the waves were a little, little tall. Spending that whole trip in the bottom of the ship, in the bathroom. That's not, that's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about mariners. Think deadliest catch. You ever watch that show? I get sick watching that show. But those guys are on that boat, and sometimes it's just, I mean, going up and down. It's upside down, seems like, sometimes. It doesn't bother them. They're having fun. They're skating across the, the, the deck. These mariners, these deadliest catch sailors are afraid. That is a storm. That is a horrendous storm. They were afraid and each cried out to his God. Here's what I want you to see. God has left his mark on all of creation. These men who were pagan, who were away from God, they were rebels in every sense. When it comes down to it, when the heat is turned up, when the wind is hurled into their lives, they reveal this knowledge of a God. God's left his mark there. But Romans 1 is all about it. It's plain to them. You ever heard of uh, thermochromism? I had to look up the real name for it. What it is is kids, any kids in the room, have you all ever had uh, one of the spoons that when you dip it in milk it changes colors? You know what I'm talking about? One of those? I like those. You dip that spoon in there, you dip it in cold milk, and and it may go in pink, but it's going to come out blue. You know what I'm talking about? That's thermochromism. Uh, Baby bottles. 
You parents recently gone through raising infants, or you're right in the middle of it, Clay and Melissa, baby bottles. You put that thing in, and you heat the bottle up, and it's going to change colors, and it's going to tell you when it is safe for your baby to drink it. It's thermochromism. If that doesn't ring a bell with you, think mood ring. Mood ring really doesn't tell anybody's mood. It's just heat. It just the, the property of this thing changes when the temperature changes. Well, that's what we see here. We see the temperature change in these mariners' life. And it's, God has hurled wind on them, and they are afraid. And instantly, these men who would curse like sailors, who would think nothing of offending any God, when the heat is turned up, they reveal that there is an imprint of God on their lives. That they are aware that behind this wind, behind this tempest on the sea, there must be one who is divine behind it. And the, these were probably Phoenicians, and there was a, a, a God for a lot of things. They had made gods for different things, particularly when going out on the sea. They would sacrifice to, and they would, even though it was not truly God, it was a God of their own making. When this happens, it says that they all begin to call out to their gods. They find Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat, and the captain comes, and he's not so upset. I don't think that Jonah's just down below. I think he's upset because he's afraid for his life. And if there's a God out there that they've not tapped into, and Jonah knows him, he wants him up and praying. God has left his mark on Everything, imprint of God shows up when the heat is turned up in their lives. They reveal that they have this knowledge of God, yet here they are running differently but similarly to the way Jonah is running. See, it's not enough for someone to know that there is a God. It's popular today to say that all roads lead to heaven. That all gods are as good as the other. We've just got to be sincere in the way that we approach Him. We've got to do enough good to appease this God, whoever He or she is out there. And it's popular to claim that and to think that. And when we stand in a pulpit or we stand in our job or we stand on the school campus and we, we proclaim that there is one God who is sovereign over all, we are laughed at and made, made out to be Uh, less than intelligent. It's popular to think that way, but I want you to see in this, I want you to take notice that these sailors reveal the imprint of God in their lives and they begin to pray earnestly to their gods. But what good does it do? It does no good. They're crying out. They might as well be crying out to the wind that is destroying them. Because there is no God behind that name that they have given Him at all. It's not enough for you just to say, you know, I believe in this God. If God exists and He does, don't you think that if He reveals Himself, that we're obligated to call Him by the name that He has revealed Himself to us? There is one God, and yet they are all running just like Jonah. I want to show you this, that the contrast of the mariners here against Jonah shows us that all of us tend to run in one of two ways. 
Now, the mariners run largely the way that we think of people running from God. They run in their rebellion. They disobey. They are, they are crass. They, they don't think of God. They just live their lives. They probably drink. There's probably drug use. There's sex. There's all of these things. That's the way we think of rebellion most of the time, right? This is the sailors. They are running. Here's how they run. Away from the law. Away from the law. They think that in running away from the law, if they can just get away from from morality and everything that's good, everything that seems to be a law of society, wherever it comes from, if, if they can just get away from that, then they'll achieve freedom. Yet they're in the storm. But Jonah shows us that there is another way of running, and we don't often think of running in this way. Jonah is not running away from the law. Jonah is one who is running by going toward the law. He's religious. He is devout. He is a prophet of God. We oftentimes think that, that the, the people out there who are not in church on Sunday, who don't read their Bibles, who don't listen to Christian radio, that they're the rebels. When I would tell you that there are people that sit in churches every single Sunday who are running just as hard and fast away from God as these sailors are. But they're doing it in a different way. They're doing it by trying to be good enough. They're doing it by trying to earn God's favor by coming and doing. Don't you see that on this ship that God has hurled this wind at, there are two groups of rebels. There are those who have rebelled away from the law, and there is the one who is rebelling toward the law. And they are both in the storm. Both there. See, God has so left His imprint on everything that we can't avoid it. It's easy to see. As much as I want to run that bird off my porch, I mean, this thing, He's good. I mean, this nest, I mean, I couldn't build this nest. I mean, he has worked and brought mud and moss and sticks, and this thing's just molded to the house to where, I mean, if I don't knock it down, you know, I could probably just paint over it, you know? Just blend it in with the house. He'll come back every year. It's, it's, it's that good. I can't help but to look at this bird that I despise on my porch and see the imprint of God. Our God is a creator, and he has put this into the heart of even this bird. So I'm going to come to that. I'm going to look around. The whole world looks at this. I will be at the beach, and I will be around with other people, and we will all stare at the same sunrise. We'll look at the tides. We'll look at all of this, and we will see the glory of God, but there will be some that will run away from it in rebellion. There will be some that will run, run away from it in their religion. And the only way that we can avoid the storm altogether is not through religion or rebellion, but to submit to the storm. Third thing I want you to see is to why it is foolish to run away from God is that 
Not only is God powerful over all things, not only has he left his mark on all things, but God's presence comes to us even in our oblivion. Even in our oblivion, and especially in our oblivion. Convert verses the rest of verse 5 and into verse 6. They were afraid. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship. He had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. We look at this and we think, this is such a storm that the mariners, these experienced, deadliest catch sailors, are afraid, crying like babies, throwing cargo, throwing all their profit overboard. This is, how could Jonah possibly sleep in this? Some would say, I read some commentators, and maybe they're right, but I don't think so, that this is the, that he's able to sleep here because he's just flat out exhausted from running away from God. That could be. But I think there's a sleep that comes to rebels that is different. It's the sleep of oblivion. It's it's the sleep that comes when you're so hell-bent to run away that you can ignore all of those things that really ought to push you back. Sadly, many of you know all too well the power of addiction. Maybe you have a family member or a loved one who is in the middle of, has struggled for some time, maybe has come through and they're doing well, but you know the power of addiction. And you've watched, you've watched them time and time again. My own sister, uh, I turned 38 this year, my, my sister will turn 41 in August, 41 years old, when she was 16 years old, was raped. Right about that same time, she was in a car accident, was, pre- was prescribed pain medicine, began to take that pain medicine, became hooked, and today, from 16 to 41, there has not been a year of her life where she's not been on some substance. And I've watched my sister, and I've thought, why do you, why do, you do that? Why do you do the things that you do? When will you Stop. I've stood in the face of my sister who I love and I've I've had spit fly on my face as she curses me out. And I think, this is not the sister that I grew up with. When when will you stop? And I I look at that and and, and you know this well too. They're asleep. The world is going to pieces around them. They're destroying themselves. It's chaos. And they seem to be asleep. I mean, everybody else is feeling the pain of this. And there was a season where I didn't want to take my family to my parents' house because of what my children would be exposed to. When will you wake up? There is a sleep that comes in running that is not exhaustion, it's just flat-out rebellious oblivion. But notice, Jonah may well reason that God's okay with him running. I mean, after all, I got to Joppa and there was a ship. God must be okay with it. 
He may be able to go into the bottom of the boat and fall fast asleep. God must be okay with it. But when the storm comes, when the captain comes and wakes him up, Jonah is aroused out of his sleep. Sometimes those people in your life that you love that are so wrapped up in addiction, they need intervention. Sometimes you can stage an intervention, and a few years back it became sort of a a thing to laugh at and mock on television shows and movies. Sometimes you can stage an intervention and it becomes something to laugh at. But sometimes an intervention is exactly what the person needs. Sometimes the person is there. They're at rock bottom. And what they need is for people that love them, that are aware of everything that they're doing that's killing them, to step into their life and intervene. And when we do that, we are acting just like our Father. We probably, probably most of us, I I thought this way. When I read Jonah, first, I don't know how many times I read Jonah, when I would come across this section, I thought that the storm was the anger of God. It's the discipline of God. It's a difference. My children know when I discipline them out of anger. My children also know when I discipline them out of love. And the storm here, when God sees Jonah, is well aware that he's running, is well aware of the ship that was there, knows exactly where he is, when God picks up the wind like a spear and hurls it into Jonah's existence, Jonah is met with the gracious mercy of God. Church, it is foolish to run from God. His power over everything. His his fingerprints are everywhere. But if we stopped there, you might still get away with it. But if we go all the way to see that not only is he powerful over everything, has his fingerprints on all things, but that he also loves you desperately and those who are his will be his forever and he will not allow us to succeed in our running. He will wound us. He will hurt us if that's what it takes because he loves us. I remember as a kid um, having to be spanked I know that's a shock to you all. My mom was always a pushover. My mom was, was this just gracious, long-suffering person, never really raised her voice until she had had enough. When she had had enough, whatever was around, you know, if she could pick it up and fling it, if she could swing it, it was fair game. But mom would always, she would always react. And then she'd come back in. Her, her conscience would get the best of her. She'd come back in and she'd say, I, I'm sorry. And sometimes there's a case for that. Sometimes there's a case for a parent to come back in when you've disciplined out of anger. But let me just tell you something. Most of the time, she should have never come back in and apologized to me. Because I learned my mother. I could push her buttons. I could disobey. I could run from her authority over me. And deserve what would come my way. Deserve the wind that would come. But I knew if I endured it, never fully submitted, that just in a few minutes she would come back into my bedroom and she would apologize. And now I could have just a little bit more power over her. And I could manipulate her. 
Let me tell you something. It's not the picture of our God. When God brings wind into your life, he's never going to have second thoughts. He doesn't do it because he's angry at you. He doesn't do it because he doesn't like you. When he brings wind in your life, he does it because it's what you need in order to stop you in your tracks and bring you back to him. Let me tell you something. This is revolutionary for me. God has sent a storm into our lives. You and I, we were running from him. Every single one of us, we were born this way. We were born with sin in our DNA because we are from our original father, Adam. Come from those loins and we are born sinful and we at some point choose to continue to sin. And every single one of us, whether you were saved at the age of eight like I was or 48, every single one of us were running in our own way, either in rebellion or in religion. We were running And we may have thought for a season, for maybe a long time, we were getting away with it. But you know what God did? God picks up the wind called his son and throws his son like a spear into our world. His son comes as the storm and takes the wrath of God. And you today may be here today and and you're running from God. You know you are. And God is sending a storm in your life. Let me tell you something. He's already sent the storm that will save you. Jesus is the storm. And the way to to be saved, to avoid the, the, the storms further, are not to run from God in one of those two ways, but it's to submit to the storm. To yield to it. Now, I've never been in the eye of a, of a hurricane or a tornado. I don't ever want to be in the eye of a hurricane or tornado. But I can tell you this much. I'd rather be in the eye than out in the outer band. And God has sent the storm of his son when we were running away from him. And what you need to do is not try to drive faster You need to yield to it. If you're here today and you're experiencing things in your life that are, it's just wind. It's just hard. That makes sense. I pray that you'll turn and you'll see it in a different light. That things aren't random, they're not just out of control. But there is a God who is on his throne, who has power over all things, who has his fingerprints on all things, and who loves you more than you love yourself and will stop your running and use whatever it takes. Don't run any longer. Turn to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this room, I pray... God, that you would have your way in here. Lord, that in the midst of a lot of different storms that are represented in this room, God, I pray that today that we would hear your whisper. God, that there would be people all across this room who understand what you're doing and who you are and that you've sent your son to rescue us, 
to stop our running. To give us hearts that no longer run either in religion or rebellion, but that are made new and that run toward you. Run with you. God, would you have your way in the lives that are here? God, would you speak loudly? Lord, would you open blind eyes, open deaf ears today? God, would you take the word of God and just push it down deep into us? The gospel that we would understand, the gospel is as much for those who are already saved as those who need to be saved. We don't just run in the beginning, but that we have a tendency to run throughout our lives. God, would you call us back today? Would you send the storm today and call people back to yourself? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.